Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 128 of the Speaking Club podcast. Thanks to senior research scientist Stuart Pearson and the conference monkey for this. They've just found the gene for shyness. They would have found it earlier, but it was hiding behind two other genes. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello, how's it going? We've had some lovely weather here in the UK and with everyone eating and drinking outside, it's felt a bit like a holiday, except for the masks and sanitizer, which in pre-coronavirus days would have sounded like a different sort of vacation altogether. Well, enough of that. (laughs) I have another cracking guest on the show today and I know this will create some light bulb moments for you about something that can be as scary as speaking for some people and that's networking. My guest today is Dvorak, and she's not only a global keynote speaker and leadership consultant to some of the biggest names in the world, but she's also a best-selling award-winning author. One of her most popular books is Networking for People Who Hate Networking, which has made her known as an expert on the subject. Devorah has been featured in many publications and media such as the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, USA Today, Women's Health and Fast Company, to name but a few. She's been a very busy lady. I know you're going to love this episode. There are so many nuggets here. But before I switch over to the interview, I just wanted to let you know about a live workshop I'm doing next week. So if you're an author, expert, entrepreneur or coach and you want to start speaking to grow your business, or you've been speaking, but you want more or consistent sales, then I want to give you a fast pass for success. In this hour-long workshop, I'm going to show you how to grab that most precious thing, your audience's attention, so that they stop and listen to your message. I'm going to show you the secret weapon of selling that so many entrepreneurs miss and that could be costing you. And the aspect of your talk that you must get right so that your audience will be ready to say yes and lots more. It's the accelerant you need to stand out, especially now, and I've saved you a front row seat. But there are limited spaces and I'm expecting this class to fill up fast. So the only way to make sure you get your seat and learn how to get more sales when you speak is to claim your spot for free now at thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. And if you attend live, not only are you going to get a Q&A sesh with me, you're also going to get a very special gift. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing you there. And in the meantime, let's crack on with the interview. Devorah Zach, welcome to the Speaking Club podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, I love uh, the topic of networking, although I, I'm not sure I'm particularly good at it, but it may be a belief that lots of people have about, uh, about the subject, which is what you're a particular expert in. So you wrote a book about networking. What made you write that book in the first place? 
Well, I've, I'd already been teaching a lot of and seminars and programs on leadership, communications, team building. And I came across this concept uh, that networking is not what people think it is and that it's actually almost the exact opposite. So as this came up in my programs, people got really excited and asked me to write a book on it. Do you, do you feel there was a sort of common misperception about it? Absolutely. There still is. Um, so many people think that networking is about shameless self-promotion and constant contact and connecting with as many people as much of the time as possible. And that advice uh, only works for about 15% of the general population. So the rest of us, including me, when we hear that, it makes us want to run and hide or say, oh, I don't like networking and I'm not good at it. However, what I've learned is that real networking is about building meaningful, mutually beneficial connections one person at a time, which takes a completely different strategy. Less becomes more and authenticity trumps, um, you know, pretending to be someone you're not. And it actually is more successful. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, before we um, came on air, we were having a chat about the difference between networking and social capital. And we, I, mean, I I'm not entirely sure what the difference is, but one sounds a bit more mercenary than the other. And that's kind of what you're saying in a way, isn't it, is, is our perception of it. Right. Well, there's different definitions of social capital as well. Like a lot of people who write about it say it has to do with strategy or um, getting to leverage your relationships. And that might be in sync with the old version of what people consider networking. Um, However, it's not in sync with what I believe is the new type of networking, which is about being true to yourself and making true connections that are mutually beneficial for both parties. Excellent. And this is a message that comes through uh, loud and clear from you. You know, your proposition is that you are successful at networking by being yourself. I think the same is true of speaking. You know, the more authentic you are, the better you'll be. Obviously, there's things that you can learn to make you better at it. But in essence, I think that's true. And have you got any advice for people who may feel that their self isn't good enough? That does get in people's way. So there's the first step is to understand who you are, understand your natural temperament, your natural way of being. And the next step is to accept it. And then the third step is to work with it rather than fighting against it. So in my book, Networking, for people who hate networking, I talk a lot about introversion, extroversion. And as you know, you take a self-assessment and figure out where you're on the spectrum. And the old-fashioned way of looking at things was that extroverts, you know, of course, had the market cornered on networking and introverts were, you know, at a a loss. That's not true at all. So that the basis of this is that people don't really understand what introversion and extroversion is. So there's only three real differences between introverts and extroverts. And that's the introverts think to talk and extroverts talk to think. Extroverts um, energize with other people and introverts energize alone. And extroverts go wide in terms of relationships, connections, action, like a lot of activity, a lot going on, a lot of people, a lot of happening. And introverts go deep, deeper into uh, relationships, deeper into uh, activities, don't like as much simultaneous stimuli. So it has nothing to do with really networking. So when I say leverage who you are, so let's say that you're an introvert and I just said you think to talk. So you might say, well, Devorah, that must mean that I can't be a good networker because I can't spontaneously break into conversation. So that's not the direction to go in. Instead, what I would say is accept who you are. Don't say, oh, I, I should be better at speaking off the cuff. Instead, say, you know what? I happen to have a temperament that thinks to talk. So what do I do about that? Maybe I should plan in advance some interesting questions to ask. Maybe I should prepare responses to the typical types of questions that other people might ask me. So it's working with who you are instead of fighting against it. 
I love that. So rather than complaining about what, you know, what you perceive as a deficiency, see, you know, your character as a strength and play, it's effectively playing to your strengths, isn't it? And accept it. And, and instead of fighting against it. So if another one of the big traits of introversion versus extroversion is that introverts uh, prefer one-on-one interactions and extroverts prefer group interactions. So if I'm an introvert, which I am, instead of going to a conference unplanned and suddenly find myself at a 30-person steak dinner for three hours, miserable, <laughs> instead I would say, I'm going to plan in advance to suit my temperament. I know I do better one-on-one. I'm going to look into who will be there. I'll send out an invitation to maybe have a cup of tea with someone for an hour that seems interesting to me, and I'll be way more successful. Gosh, that's interesting. I think I might be an extrovert. I think in some ways I, I've maybe bridged the, the two. I love an audience. I feel like one-to-one, I don't think I'm quite as good. I'm all right when I get started, but it's, more, it's less comfortable for me one-to-one than it is in front of an audience for some reason. But well, that's, um, that's interesting. Uh, in the book, I introduce a new concept called the centrovert. And centrovert yeah. people that are midway between extroversion and introversion. So it's possible you might identify with the centrovert status of being somewhere right close to the middle. Uh, however, it's interesting to, to go back to another thing you said, which is that you prefer an, uh, you like an audience. Introverts often prefer a defined role in, a, in an engagement rather than just wandering around a happy hour. So a lot of introverts prefer leading a discussion uh, to just being a regular participant in discussions. So that, that also oh. reframes a little bit how people perceive the different um, temperaments. And additionally, when we talk about introversion and extroversion, there's a difference between temperament and behavior. So your temperament is your core essence, what you are in your core. Your behavior is how you might behave, especially if you honor your temperament. So as an introvert, I know that I energize alone. So if I want to be really on in front of a group, I'll energize alone ahead of time. And then people who observe my behavior might say, oh, she must be an extrovert. She's so comfortable speaking to a crowd, which by the way, speaking in front of a crowd is not linked to introversion or extroversion. It's another misconception. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So I, on a Myers-Briggs, I'm assuming you, you know Myers-Briggs. So, so I would come out as like, I think it's ENTP or something like that. But I do feel, I like that idea of having a defined role makes me feel comfortable. So it's, it, I think maybe I, yeah, maybe I'm more introverted than I think I am. Also in terms of personality styles, which I do a great, amount of work in <laughs> is uh, it, it matters not only what your temperament is, but this, what's called the strength of your preference. Right. So you might be an ENTP and I might be, have the same four letters. Um, and, but if I have a slight preference, for example, towards one of the items on the spectrum and you have a strong preference that will come out really differently in how we engage in the world. Gosh, it's interesting, isn't it? The old, uh, the old psychology of it all. Um, and, and how do you think status comes into play when we, we're in a networking situation? How should we manage that? Is that something that you're conscious of when you do networking? You mean uh, if someone seems to have a higher... Yes, yeah. So um, my first instinct is to say, if we don't know who has a higher status than we do. So I may think, oh, this person is just um, the significant other of someone who works at the organization and it really isn't relevant at all to this conference. I I could be completely wrong. That person may be who I should speak to the most importantly of everyone there. So I go into things saying, instead of trying to figure out who's the right person and the wrong person, to assume whoever I'm talking to at that moment is the right person. And my job is to figure out why. 
And it doesn't mean I need to spend all night talking to that person, but five, 10 minutes is to treat everyone like they have a very high status for me. Uh, however, I, I want to just add a caveat, which is that let's say someone is, for example, the keynote speaker or the head of the organization, uh, then you do still want to be aware of that and honor their time. If, if you are talking to someone you think a lot of other people might want to talk to, um, I would do two things. One is to keep it brief, to not try and take over their evening. And the other is to plan in advance, learn a little bit about that person and then say something relevant to, to what their field is or recent publication they might have to show that you aren't just running around saying hello to everyone you can, but that you have a particular interest in their field. I like that idea of being, I mean, we're going to talk about some tips for networking, but I love that idea of being strategic and intentional. And I think regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, probably doing a little bit of planning in advance is a good thing um, to to get the most out of it. And and one thing I wanted to ask you, I don't know if you've come across this. You go to a network event, you say hello to someone and you're having a conversation, but you know they're not looking, they're not interested in you. Like they're looking around to see who is more important or more. Do you you have that situation? What do you do in that situation? So the first thing I would say is to make sure that you aren't one of those people because it's easy <laughs> to fall into that, right? So, you know, when people go to events, then we think, oh, I'm just quickly looking around. This person doesn't notice. If I'm treating somebody else like the wrong person, then I can guarantee one thing for sure. I'm the wrong person for them. Like I'm not going to come out well. So first is to start with yourself and to really discipline ourselves to focus on who's in front of us. And I'll, I'll answer what I bet is going to be your next question about how to end a conversation. <laughs> so you're stuck with that. <laughs> Um, all night. And, um, and by the way, people don't want to be stuck with us all night either. Like we don't want to have delusions of grandeur, like <laughs> in a networking event. And so that's the first piece. And then also I would say when someone isn't really focused on us, just to gracefully bow out of, of the conversation, if you really feel like it's not, if they're not engaging with you. And, and this is a big question I get asked a lot is how do you end a conversation? And I have a whole list of examples in the book, but I'll give you two really versatile examples right now. One is to say, and by the way, nonverbals, a pleasant tone makes a big difference. It's been lovely meeting you. I promised myself I'd circulate. Do you have a card? Um, And another one, which is almost the reverse, is uh, it's been great talking to you. I'm sure you want to meet other people. Um, Here's my card. Uh So really basic, simple, smiling, and they'll be grateful. Yeah. I ask when I'm doing seminars, um, who's most likely to glom on to another person at a networking event and um, what personality style? And the answer is, do you want to try and guess? <laughs> Probably extrovert or no? What, what Actually, is it? it would be a, a strong introvert because oh. introverts, when they go to, when we, I speak for myself also, go to a networking event where you don't know people, if we meet someone who we actually feel a real connection with, it's like, great, I'm going to stick with this person because we really, that way I don't have to go out into the cold, cruel world again, <laughs> looking around for someone else to talk to. So, so the safety I, blanket. Exactly. <laughs> so the advice <laughs> I give interests is if you love someone, set them free. Oh, I like <laughs> that. Conversation while you're both still interested in each other. <laughs> That sounds like good relationship advice as well. <laughs> um, excellent. I love that. The two things that I find challenging when I go networking, and I'm not in corporate anymore, but when I was in corporate, I used to go to, uh, I was in HR when I was in corporate. And 
I used to go to these HR conferences and it would come to lunchtime and people would know each other or it felt like that. And I felt like a, an outsider. So I would kind of, most of the time I'd go get my food and find a corner, which is really bad. Like people probably that, that sort of listen to this podcast are like probably going, what? But yeah, I, and I would always feel like, how can I comfortably break it? I don't want to sort of go into someone's conversation and go, oh, hiya, it's me, you know. So how do you break into those conversations? Okay, great like example. And I'm, I'm going to give you two ideas. The first is uh, if you go into the luncheon area and you have your plate of food and, or you're going to find a plate of food and, and you said sometimes you go sit in the corner and you said, which is awful, that might be okay. So if someone is an introvert or a centrovert and they need to get re-energized, and they're feeling a little drained to go eat by yourself in the corner, or maybe another lone introvert will find their place nearby you and you'll both be reading your newspapers or books or phones, then um, that, that, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. So the part, again, it goes back to noticing your energy and what you need to do for you. However, let's say you actually do want to talk to people at lunch and you are uncomfortable, like most of us are, like I certainly am as well, just throwing myself into a group of people that may or may not have known each other for a while and interjecting myself in the conversation. What I'll do is I'll try and be one of the first ones in the lunch area and sit at an empty table near the middle or the front and let people fill in around me. Ah, oh, nice one. That way they're choosing to sit there as well. And then I might find some places to have conversations. That's brilliant. It is also, I think, part of it is that I always tend to pick the sandwich with the tomato in and I'll be taking a bite and just like, there's no way I can eat something that's that's not good. I have a whole list of items that people are, that I work with are not allowed to eat, whether at a meal or a, or a cocktail party. It's not a very fun list, but um, <laughs> it definitely, definitely is tried and true. Like if you love those everything crackers, can't eat them at a networking event. You have to have the planes so they don't get stuck in your teeth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Give one That's example of many. <laughs> exactly. But that is, it is interesting. It is, comes back to a lot of, you know, thinking about ourselves rather than the other people, you know, worrying about all of those things. But I think that's, that's really good advice. I shall be strategic about my food as well. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you should put a cold blanket on things. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. It makes, it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, that's good. Okay. So we've already, um, already got some tips from you, but could I get some more? What are your top tips for getting the most out of a networking event? So, so many things. Uh, one is to ask well-formed questions that uh, are going to get the conversation going. So let's take an ordinary kind of dull question, which is, what do you do? It's very ho-hum, but also very typical. So it's very easy to turn these questions into something that's going to make the conversation a lot more dynamic, such as, what's your favorite part of your work? Just a slight change, but a big difference in how the conversation is going to evolve. And all of a sudden, the person's talking about something they're good at and they love and they're excited about. So that's one piece. Another, I have so many ideas. Another is uh, to, again, avoiding the situation where you walk in, whether it's at a luncheon or a, a happy hour or a, a networking gathering, where you're walking in into a room full of people that are already engaged with each other and, and we feel really uncomfortable for good reason to jump in. So I recommend this kind of counterintuitive advice for people that are a little hesitant to go to networking events, uh, which is to arrive early instead of late. So if you arrive early, just a couple minutes early, you can do a few things. One is you can offer to help out. 
So if you volunteer at events, and that's something you can plan in advance or do spontaneously, instead of telling everyone how great you are, you're demonstrating it, how helpful you are by, by pitching in and also gives you something to do. It gives you a purpose rather than wandering around. Um, another thing about arriving early, if you're not volunteering, is that there's fewer people, that everyone is not already in groups, it's not crowded and noisy and loud. So instead, you can just have a one-on-one conversation with someone else who's there and it's a better atmosphere. So um, those, that's a couple of examples of yeah. advice. But the really main way to get something out of a networking event, uh, two parts, it's the beginning and the end. So first is to set your goal. A lot of times we don't do that. Like, what do I hope to get out of this event? Uh, because I hear some people, especially some strong extroverts say to me, oh, Devor, I'm an excellent networker. I can talk to anyone about anything. And so to this, I reply, that's lovely skill that you can talk to anyone about anything and that you enjoy being in crowded rooms of people spearing cheese. However, that doesn't necessarily translate into great networking. So what? think about why am I there? Because it's not to collect as many cards as possible. It's about making lasting connections. So my goal might be to meet one person who I feel a connection with and to exchange contact information. However, this brings us to the end and that's following up. Because if you're not following up, you're not networking. So is your follow-up authentic? Is it um, customized? Do you remember each other a day later? Uh, so if you meet someone you really intend to follow up with that you really feel connection to, after you say your farewell to that person, jot down a couple of notes. If they gave you a card, write it right there on the card. It's a great gift to yourself the next day because we tend to overestimate our own memories because we forget about 50% of what we hear within 48 hours. So I might have met you and thought you were fantastic and I'd love to go out with you for a lunch or a breakfast and uh, the next time, oh, was it Lisa or was it <laughs> Which one was it? So if you give yourself this little notes, then all of a sudden I can follow up authentically. I love that. There is that thing about the fortunes in the follow-up. You're absolutely right. I think that's something we just, for instance, from my own perspective, you're like, oh, I don't want to do it too quickly or bother people or, you know, you're worried about all sorts of things. But if it, if it is with the intention of simply keeping that connection going, then that should remove all of that stuff, I think, shouldn't it? Right, right. Actually, people ask me so much about follow-up that the new edition of the networking book has a whole new chapter on just oh, follow-up. brilliant. And it's never too soon to follow up especially since people do forget half of what they hear in a couple of days. So, uh, and, but instead of thinking, I don't want to seem like I'm trying to take advantage of this person in your follow-up, think, what do I have to offer? What can I do for this person? How can I be helpful to that person? Maybe it's a link to an article or connection to the person or um, something that makes them laugh or something that you're doing for that person. And then if you are asking for a future encounter, make it as easy as possible for that person to say yes. So myself is um, a lot of times I get requests from people that I have met or who've read a book or, and they want to spend more time and they'll say, Oh, you know, can I, we go to dinner and usually the answer is no. I mean, I just, there's, it's too much to take on for so many different people. But if they say, can I pick your brain for 10 minutes? I'm really interested in this particular aspect of what you wrote about. And it's very specific and it shows they've done their homework and it's easy to do. It's much more likely to pan out. Yeah, that's really good. So add value and have the right intentions. That's brilliant. And there was something else you said as well, which is really interesting. So you said about the extroverts, you know, I'll talk to anyone about anything. And that quite that's quite interesting because when in business these days, they always say have a niche. It's almost meaningless. If you're just going to talk to everyone about anything, it's almost pointless doing it, isn't it, in a sense? Well, it depends how 
aware that person is. If so, if you are really gifted at picking up on nonverbals and you can't, and you're also talented at talking to people at things, you might be able to calibrate your conversation to what that other person might be interested in. And there's a lot to that, like noticing if someone sort of their face lights up. However, uh, myself as an introvert, I admire, I think it's great that some people are so good at talking to anybody, anything, um, if they can calibrate it. And so it's good to form liaisons between the introverts, the extroverts, and the centroverts, (laughs) (laughs) because we can all help each other out. And uh, the centroverts tend to be very good at building connections for other people at an event. Like, hey, come over here. The two of you might be really interested in talking and creating connections. That, so everybody has their their place and their talents. It's just a matter of how we apply them. Yeah, and, and you I make a point here that I, I wanted to cover as well. You are very accomplished, aren't you? Maybe you could tell us a bit about your background and that sort of melting pot. And did that all help to make you as good as you are and you know as an expert as you are in, in networking, do you think? I think that it has to do with following what you're interested in yourself. So instead of being strategic about one's career or, you know, one's network and thinking, okay, I want to do this in order to get to this next place in my life. I really believe in following your heart and, and what you're passionate about. So I actually have a very atypical background or so I've been told I have a background in theater and um, also uh, degrees in communications and psychology, and then an MBA, a master's in business in, uh, with an emphasis on management, and then as a certified practitioner in Myers-Briggs and neurolinguistic programming, which is a cognitive science, which helps us improve the way we build rapport and communicate through an enhanced conscious use of our two primary sources of communication, our kinesthetic, nonverbal, physical communication, and our linguistics, our language. And I, I found all this really interesting, but if somebody else is interested in a different type of angle of networking or, or building a business, then that's what is probably the path for you to follow. So in my work, I do executive coaching and keynoting and multi-day seminars and uh, in all these areas of leadership development. Cool. Just while I'm interested in the theater stuff. So did, did you used to act? What was that? What sort of aspect of theater were you doing or interested? Yes, yes. I've done a lot of um, actually improvisational comedy as <laughs> my background. Excellent. <laughs> when, I do, when I do speeches, I can pick up on a crowd's energy really easily. And uh, I think it's really great to make people laugh. I think that we don't need to be so serious all the time. And people learn a lot when they laugh more. And as you, I don't know. So I've written four books, but um, they're all on different topics, single tasking and managing for people who hate managing and networking. And, uh, but they, I, they all have different angles, but I, I like to make them all fun to read. I yes. mean, what's the good in, in being bored by anything? We, if you're going to speak, it should be interesting and fun or upbeat or enlightening or amazingly different from what other people have heard or said. And same thing with, with reading and reading, I believe in writing. That's really interesting. Cause I, is, a, is a question I had coming up because one of the things that I, I obviously was interested in the testimonials for your book and in terms of my research for, for my guests that I do. And one of the things that kept coming through was that your, your book is fun and funny. And, you know, you just said you use humor. I mean, I'm a massive believer in the power of humor. Do you use it when you're networking as well? In those one-to-one yes. conversations? Yes. I don't do it on purpose. It just comes <laughs> out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's again, it's not a strategy. It's just uh, you being you. 
Right, exactly. And so that goes back to just being authentic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you find, so one of the, the, one of the questions I have next was around getting and keeping the attention of the person that you're talking to. Um, I always, in one of the pieces of advice that resonated with me like ages ago, before I had a pro like you sort of like giving, giving some great tips was ask people questions because people love talking about themselves. So if you, if you ask people questions, then, then that's a great way to, to keep them interested in you if they're talking about themselves. Is that, is that still valid? Is it a good thing to do? It's interesting you say that. So I, I think that coming with some, like we talked about before, some interesting, yeah. a little bit different types of questions planning those in advance before attending a program is fantastic. I also think it's really important to start when you don't know someone well yet with more general questions, Mm -hmm. because a lot of types of inquiries that extroverts and centroverts may think are completely comfortable to discuss with someone you just met, an introvert might find personal. So start with general questions and then let the other person decide how detailed they want to go in response. And you'll be able to pick up on that. On the other hand, for introverts, uh, be prepared with to, with some answers to questions that you anticipate people might have because it, you don't want to have just a completely one-sided conversation where all you're doing is asking questions. And also be thinking about why the person is talking about what they brought up. So if somebody says to me, have you been on any interesting vacations this year? And I say, oh yes, I went on a ride through Norway's upper areas of it's whatever what what is Norway a fjord fjord that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> I mean I use this example again a fjord and and then you've done the same thing a lot of people think the great thing to do is jump and say oh yes I did it it was so wonderful we went for a month and a half and it was so then all of a sudden we're not really talking about my vacation anymore <laughs> so be tuned in to at is, is how you build rapport with people. It's always by having done the same thing or having done something even better. It, it might be really learning more about that person's experience. I love that. I did um, talk about that on a, on a podcast I did. I read somewhere about, you know, that is our tendency to do that, to jump in. But then we're making it about ourselves again. And also, the, you know, we... I, I can't remember. I think it was a TED talk I was listening to where the, the person who thinks she's a radio interviewer, uh, name escapes me at the moment. And she said, you know, you think you're being empathetic, but you've never had the same experience as that person. So give them space to talk about their journey, you know, about yeah, many things. Yeah. And along those lines, if someone talks about something that maybe they're not happy about, like, oh, actually, uh, I'm between jobs right now, or whatever it is, something that someone might be uh, ambivalent about, uh, a lot of people's instinct is to sort of try and cheer them up or to tell them how that's not so bad after all. And really all that's doing is devalidating that person's experience yeah. And saying, not only are they not thrilled about whatever the situation is, but they're wrong for doing that. And it does not build rapport. Uh, yeah. Really, what is, builds much more rapport is to validate what they're saying and reflect back how they might be feeling. Like, oh, you know, seems like you are learned a lot from this or whatever, depending on what they're saying. So it takes really sharp focus on the other person and noticing what they are, the words they use and the w- whether they're... Um, sharing a lot or not, it, t- it tells us a lot about 
how to respond. And another thing you prepare yourself for is if you become a great listener like this and tune in, uh, someone who originally wasn't very talkative at all might suddenly just be talking a blue streak <laughs> because they feel comfortable with you. <laughs> I, I love that. You know, at the heart of everything that you're saying, I think that's coming through is, you know, I like that what you said about the question may not be comfortable for someone who's an introvert that you as an extrovert might think it's perfectly fine and it's really just about being considerate and thoughtful and intentional about the whole conversation and being in the present with that person that's kind of the heart of it or is that right that I've got that from you yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I, I agree with what you just said. And and also you can be on the lookout for things that might be topics of conversation. For example, if someone is wearing something that's a little different or a little artsy or that might be a topic of conversation or if they're from somewhere that's interesting, somewhere you've never been or somewhere you have been. So picking up on little cues about the other person could also help you find what things to, to, to talk about. And if all else fails, go over to the the fruit display or the cheese display. And uh, you can chat a little bit about, you know, the interesting cheeses or, but always screen what you're saying. And this is important for talking about what's good, not what's bad. It's alarming how much people will sort for what's wrong and try and bond with other people about what's not good about what's happening right now. Like, oh, the traffic is terrible. The weather's bad. It seems like they skimped this year. This cheese looks like it's been out all day. Um, I don't understand why the lines were so long at the the coat check. So instead, when you're speaking, find something positive to to discuss and position yourself as someone helpful as well. So hand a plate to the person behind you in line uh, for the buffet. Always be on the lookout for how you can position yourself as positive and helpful. And then you don't have to be telling everyone how about how positive and helpful you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. We do tend to focus on the, the British particularly as well, I think, uh, tend to focus a, a bit on the negatives. Okay, cool. So what I'm interested also is how does speaking fit into your business? It's a really big part of my business. I've I've been in the field for about 24 years. I know it's hard to believe, but... (laughs) No, I'm I'm looking at... You can't see it more. It it doesn't look possible. (laughs) It's it's crazy. Uh, Time flies. And so I I speak internationally uh, and on communication, personality styles, change management, team development, networking, single tasking, a lot of different topics with all different types of groups of people. And it's really been the foundation of my work. And the books came later because people were like, oh, do you know a good book on this? And I sort of thought about it and I thought, maybe I should write a book. And I was lucky to meet a wonderful publisher. And so now my books are in 45 different language translations. So um, wonderful to be able to help people internationally. And it is kind of like, you know, the seminal book. It's been in, in a lot of the big press. It's, you know, it's referenced a lot. It's, and, and it's just been updated, like you said, because it's been out for quite a while now, hasn't it? Yeah. The first edition came out about 10 years ago, and this new edition's been out less than a year, the second edition of Networking for People Who Hate Networking. And um, it's, been, it's been great. And all my programs are all customized for each group. So nothing's sort of off the shelf or generic. I always learn a lot about the group and who they are and what they care about and, you know, what their field is. And they get to work with a lot of different types of personalities and customize it. So that's really fun too. It never gets old. I suspect I may well inquire about having you back on the show to talk about some of your other books, but I'm going to pick up on one thing. So one of of your books is about the single, single tasking, isn't it? 
is that something did you write that because of something that you felt you needed and the book came out of it or how did that one come about you know it's hard to remember people <laughs> yeah, it's like why did I put myself through that writing another book it's just all a haze I keep swearing off of it and it keeps happening again <laughs> uh, I think that it, it this again was a topic that came to the surface through different types of programming I was involved in that something's not is going wrong in our culture. We're becoming really disrespectful in how we relate to people, especially people who are in front of us. We have split focus. We aren't, uh, we're not allowing ourselves to get into the flow of our work or our home or anything because we're always trying to be in two places at once. So you can either do one thing well or two things poorly. <laughs> and someone may believe that, but they think, well, but I don't have the luxury of single tasking. Like I, I'm too busy. So I teach techniques that help you focus internally and externally and, and also introduce tons of scientific data in a very, I think it's fascinating about how internationally scientists have found that we are way more effective doing one thing at a time than attempting to multitask, which actually is impossible. The brain can only do one thing at a time. And when we think we're multitasking, we're actually doing what the neuroscientists call task switching, moving back and forth between tasks. And it's terrible for our brain and our lowers IQ and Anyway, I could go on and on. So I'll, I'll well, I may well, I may well ask you to come back and talk about <laughs> it. That. Ties in with networking. Also, we want to be single tasking on the person in front of us, and that so it all complements each other. I love that, and I, I'm guilty. Just today, my partner told me off about not listening um, because my mind had wandered off. I think I, I probably need to get that book and have have a read of it. <laughs> but uh, yes, that's brilliant. Listen, th- thanks so much for sharing all those wonderful things. I'm going to put a link to the book in the show notes. Before I let you go, and before we talk about where people can find you, um, I wanted to ask you some standard questions. Now, this is the speaking club. First question is, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Connect with people uh, on a number, in a number of different areas that makes a difference in their lives. So making a meaningful, lasting impact on people's lives. And if it wasn't, if my speaking wasn't doing that, I wouldn't continue. Cool. And it's brilliant when you're speaking because you can almost see it sometimes, those light bulbs going on. That's great. And it's even better when I hear from people weeks, months, sometimes even years later, saying the impact that it had, like lasting change. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I mean, I know the book is specifically helpful for introverts, isn't it? Well, it is. What we found also is that some extroverts really love it because it teaches them how to calibrate their interactions to other personality styles and be more effective as well at networking. It also teaches extroverts ways they can be more effective at networking, like um, a lot of different little tips, like one of my clients taught me wait, W-A-I-T, and it, he is an extrovert and he uses that as a technique to stop himself when he's in a meeting or an event. It stands for why am I talking, W-A-I-T, <laughs> why am I talking? So there's little, there's tips for everyone. <laughs> go and get the, whether you're introvert, extrovert, centrovert, I didn't, go and get the book. Okay, cool. Now back to my, back to my questions. Have you had like a really bad gig speaking? Um, is there one that sticks in your mind? You were like, oh my goodness, that was terrible. I'll give an example of when I was speaking to an individual in a really important networking uh, event and I, I did a terrible thing. So I have many, many examples, of course, but <laughs> I'll give you one for now. I was, it was when I first, I was at an international conference and I hadn't been published yet. I really, really wanted to meet a publisher and someone introduced me to this publisher that I was super interested in. And I'd never spoken to an editor before, like a real book editor. I was so nervous. 
And he said, tell me about your book idea in one sentence. And I answered him and he folds his arms, looks at me and says, that was a run on sentence. And I just wanted the earth to swallow me up. I couldn't believe the first thing I ever said to this editor was a run on sentence. And so I, I just was mortified. Of course, they ended up being my publisher. And oh, that's they kind of so <laughs> the real lesson is we don't really know where we blew it and where we didn't. We yeah. may think we blew it. And a lot of times we may or may not get the feedback. But, you know, if, if you are speaking to a group and maybe you, you sense something um, isn't connecting with them, that could be in your head also. For example, mm-hmm. if it's a quieter audience, they may be processing. Uh, or if some people ask, you know, some questions that are hard to answer, that might be because they really want to learn in a deeper way. And even if you impact one person, it's worth your while. And then if things really did go wrong, maybe there's some things to fix or to um, work on more. So to take kind of learner attitude instead of like a victim attitude. I love that. Yeah, I, absolutely. There's, I mean, you and NLP practitioner, I love that. And there's no failure. There's only feedback. Oh yeah, Everything very good. Yes. Is a I learning opportunity. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Cool. Okay. Um, now, what is the book that has had most impact on your life and why? <laughs> I was just talking about this book the other night. It's maybe not what you would imagine, but uh, The Phantom Tollbooth. It's a children's book. Oh, I haven't heard it's of that. Writer. It's amazing. It's, it's really brilliant. And uh, it's just a different way of looking at so many things. And so many of the images have stuck with me forever. So The Phantom Tollbooth, great quick read, international favorite. And who's the author of that? I, I think it's Jules Pfeiffer, or is that the artist? Hold on. <laughs> I always have a copy or two nearby. It's not a picture book. It's a. Well, it's quite meaty. Right. Mm-hmm. What's it about? Is it like a fantasy book, or is it? Yeah, I, I think you should read it, and then we can talk uh, about it. Brilliant. I love. I love fantasy stuff. That's brilliant. Okay. Cool. What's the best piece of business advice you've had, and why? Really, I think it's along the lines of being true to yourself. Like it's okay to break the rules. When I first started off being a business consultant, I was sort of trying to fit in like the other business consultants and I was okay, but there was kind of a breakthrough moment when I realized like, why did I think not being me was work better than (laughs) being me? And so breaking a lot of rules, as long as nobody gets hurt, (laughs) as long as nobody loses an eye, I think is, is okay and great even. So instead of saying, this is what you do to be successful in business, what might work for you is the exact opposite. Like just by way of example, like when you're presenting publicly and uh, people say, oh, if you're come in early and like introduce yourself to members of the, of the um, audience and, you know, be friendly. And that would never work for me because I need to en- energize alone before an event. So I totally do the opposite and don't really engage with people before the program. And then when it starts, I'm super on. So notice what works for you and do that instead of what other people say you should be doing. That's really good. Okay. Last question. If you could have a mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Wow. This is hard for someone who thinks to talk. Uh, (laughs) I would say, maybe this is not exactly answering the question, but to think that anyone I meet could potentially be a mentor to me in some way and to figure out what I can learn from the different people that I meet and how everyone can be little mini mentors to each other and be really open to that instead of kind of like in worshiping an image of someone that, you know, I I don't haven't met personally. I love that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Good. Listen, Dora, thank you so much. You've shared some absolutely brilliant tips. 
with us today about networking and, and other stuff as well. Now, if people, um, obviously the book is on Amazon. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that uh, and to your other books as well. But if people want to get you in to speak or to um, find out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? I think the best place is my company website, myonlyconnect.com. So my, M-Y, onlyconnect.com. So how did the name come about for the company? So Only Connect Consulting is the name of my company. And it's based on the concept of Only Connect, which is from E.M. Forrester's book, Howard's End. Oh. And I happen to have a copy that uh, follows how it was originally um, printed. Then the first page, all it says is Only Connect. And I thought that that was really brilliant. And uh, that really all comes down to connecting with each other and with ourselves. And that's where we can start our path. Well, I love that story. That's really cool. So myonlyconnect.com. And are you on social media at all? Yes, I'm LinkedIn and Twitter. And you know, you can find me easily on those platforms. Brilliant. Excellent. I'll put some links as well in the show notes. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, all of your wisdom. And uh, yeah, really, really appreciate you coming on. It's my pleasure. Thank you. I love that. Certainly a load of great advice that I can apply to the next networking opportunity that comes my way. And I hope you can find some stuff there that help you too. And it's interesting to hear about the significant differences between introverts and extroverts and how we can learn from each other and adapt to communicate better with each other. And I really like the way Devorah suggested we consider the questions we asked, depending on who we're talking to and taking notice of the other person's reaction to gauge the sort of questions we should continue with or not. Uh, So yeah, I hope you enjoyed the show and that you have your own takeaways to help you ramp up your networking, to keep moving forward with your speaking and your business in the right direction. Uh, As usual, I'd love it if you could leave a review or rating of The Speaking Club on Apple Podcast. If you do like the show, it takes you just a couple of minutes, but it means the world to me. And, uh, and anyone else that finds the show because of it who really needs help with their speaking. Finally, if you're an author, expert or consultant like Devorah, an entrepreneur as well, and have a great message to share, but you're struggling to engage your audience or simply want to reach more people and change more lives, then don't forget to grab your spot at the free live workshop with me next week at thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. Well, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much as ever for joining me here. Uh, I love sharing stuff with you. I hope you do enjoy it too. And I will catch you next week. Don't forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to discover how to create a killer pitch that makes you or your business stand out from the crowd, then you'll want to grab your copy of my book straight to the top. It will help you clarify your USP, your business story, who your target market is and what will make them buy. You'll discover how to get the edge on the competition and position your offer for success. You'll also get proven elevator and investor pitch frameworks to use for maximum impact. To get the book for free plus lots of extra bonuses, you just pay shipping and handling, go to standoutpitch.com today.